Hi, I'm Dave Miranda, General Counsel and Past President of the New York State Bar Association. Welcome to Miranda Warnings. You have the right to remain listening. On this week's episode of Miranda Warnings, we're discussing the issue of cameras in the courtroom. We're joined by two guests taking different sides of the issue of whether we should have cameras in the courtroom. We have Daniel Novak, who supports cameras in the courtroom. He's the Associate General Counsel at book publisher Penguin Random House. He is also a co-chair of the New York State Bar Association's Media and Law Committee and writes often on First Amendment and freedom of the press issues. He also has a podcast called Slander Town. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you very much. I'm hoping that today we won't have anything that would be worthy of Slander Town. Full indemnity. <laughs> Our second guest is Norm Effman, who opposes cameras in the courtroom. He's the public defender in Wyoming County and the executive director of the Wyoming County Attica Legal Aid Bureau. He is also a member of the New York State Bar Association's criminal justice section and a past member of the New York State Bar Association's executive committee and former chair of the Bar Association's mandated representation committee. Welcome, Norm. Pleasure to be here, David. It is great to have you, Norm. Uh, I have some questions for you guys. I'm going to start with Daniel. Um, you know, in New York State, we already permit, to a certain extent, cameras in the courtroom for parts of uh, some proceedings. Why should we remove uh, the restrictions and have uh, a much more liberal uh, cameras in the courtroom? Well, New York is somewhat of an outlier nationally on this issue. Across the 50 states, there's a variety of sort of we'll call camera regimes. Some are extremely liberal, like Florida, and then some many are in between and allow, at least allow cameras in the courtroom at the discretion of the judge or sometimes the parties. New York is one of the only states that just has an absolute bar on cameras for any anything where there's testimony, essentially. So we do have them in the appellate division and the court of appeals. But at the trial level, it's invisible. It's absent. Right. So in New York, it's permitted for certain aspects of proceedings. Uh, judges often allow coverage of arraignments, opening and closing arguments, appellate arguments, certainly. Um, what's restricted is uh, cameras uh, to protect uh, when witnesses are providing testimony, whether it be cross or uh, direct testimony. And that's uh, presumably designed to uh, protect uh, the witnesses. Uh, uh, Norm, Norm, maybe you can say, why is it important that we have restrictions on uh, recording, public recording of witness testimony? Well, David, first of all, uh, which side of the coin I'm on, I'm not totally opposed to cameras in the courtroom. The The big thing that most public defenders or most defense lawyers are concerned about is whether there's a requirement uh, that there be consent by the parties before cameras are allowed in. That That's the primary issue. There are times that cameras in the courtroom can be favorable. As far as witnesses go, the issue is, one, uh, will cameras in the courtroom intimidate some witnesses? Will they be reluctant to testify? Is there a safety issue involved? Uh, so uh, in order to, uh, we realize these are open courtrooms. We realize that the press uh, is allowed in, so that's not the issue, but but cameras, uh, at least in my mind, in today's day and age, uh, uh, create a whole different mental set 
as far as who's watching and uh, how much am I in jeopardy because of uh, what's being broadcast around the world? Yeah, so, you know, testifying in court for the, the average person is probably a, a very anxiety-ridden and harrowing experience uh, for, for just about anyone. And so uh, why would we why would we want to permit recording and, and publishing this without the witness's consent, Dan? Because there are courts, they belong to the public. And like you said, the public access is a bedrock of our legal system. And the pandemic sort of exposed that, we'll call it the uh, edifice of it, because we couldn't get into the courtrooms. So we've been operating in this sort of experimental access program that was born out of necessity for the last couple of years. But it, it exposed that the, the offer to go to court is a really hollow one for a court watcher, or those that would like to watch for a variety of reasons. One, who is available during you know, business hours that has work, they can't be there. It's, there's some people that don't have geographic access. There's people that are, have disabilities and can't physically get there. So the notion that, well, our courts are open, well, it's only if you can take a Wednesday afternoon off, or I should say all of Wednesday off to go and watch. I don't believe that people that want to observe our courts should not have the same access predicated on whether or not they can physically make the, or, or make the time or get, have the access, have a car, whatever they need to get there. If our courts are truly public and belong to the public, they should be open to it in that way. And I am cognizant of concerns that witnesses could have. And I'm gonna hold up Florida as the jewel of, of, of cameras in the courtroom because I think they do a great job. They've done it for 40 years now. There's all these exceptions that are built in that are designed to protect vulnerable people. And so I just wanna kind of offer a very large caveat at the very beginning that if you're talking about a sexual abuse case involving children, like, no, I don't believe that cameras are appropriate for a vulnerable child witness there. So there are certainly, are cases that uh, that beg for more protection of vulnerable witnesses, but in your average civil trial, I, I do not agree that people can't get over a, a camera. In fact, they're they're quite unobtrusive compared to what they used to be. I want to let Norm chime in, but I've got a question for you because you mentioned Florida's had this for twenty years. 40. Do we have any empirical studies that show that uh, because Florida has had cameras in a courtroom for twenty years? that the citizens of Florida have a greater understanding of our, of our justice system as compared to a state that doesn't? Has their, has their understanding of our justice system improved or not improved? Or do we have any empirical evidence of, of the impact of that? So Florida, I, I believe their cameras policy turned 40 about like nine oh, years 40. ago, okay. right? So it's, it's actually closer to 50 years, I think at this point. There was, a, there was a big study done um, about nine years ago, nine or 10 years ago, by the Florida court system as a look back. And they found all sorts of laudatory effects. And more than that, they, more importantly, in my view, is that all of the fears that people had cited uh, never came to pass. There's been no movement to retrench this in Florida or other states that have opened up their courtrooms. So the fears that, um, lawyers would sort of act for the cameras, that witnesses would shy up, all these things. It just, it never came to pass. And so the states that have done it, the proof is in the pudding, they haven't had a, a retrenchment of this. Um, and I wanna just kind of tweak your question a little bit because I, to me, I, I don't care how people use it. Um, it's a public good. So I, I hope that people will watch trials and gain a better understanding of the legal system. That's why I watch them. And I think millions of people are watching for that purpose. 
But if someone wants to put it on TikTok, I, I, that's the consequence of living in a free society. And so I, I don't think it's, it's the burden of people who want to promote the public good to um, substantiate that the public will use it in the best possible way. Yeah, right. Of course. And I want to talk about some of the ways that it may or may not be used. But I, you know, you mentioned the, the proof is in the pudding. And so I want to give Norm a chance to talk. I know he loves pudding. Uh, but, but Norm, tell us why. Tell us why, why shouldn't New York be more like Florida if it's working so great in Florida? Shouldn't, why shouldn't we, why should New York be behind Florida? I was going to ask Amber Heard, but that's another issue. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, I want to talk yeah, about that yeah, uh, yeah. as well. But but tell me, you know, yeah. Dan says it's it's been fine for 40 years. Why, why can't we do it here in New York? Well, the real issue, as I see it, uh, is where the emphasis should be. And I'm de dealing specifically with criminal cases at this point, because there are different issues when you come to family court and a whole different world, because uh, the reason legislation proposed would include town and justice courts at some point. So that's really interesting to me. But um, it's the balance that we have to achieve. And what is the most important part of our criminal justice system? Sure, public access. All right. So the public has a right to know. I understand that. And I agree with that. Uh, and, and of course, we've always had public access. Uh, I think the whole cameras in the courtroom bit started off with the Lindbergh uh, uh, child uh, case where the, the cameras went crazy and just totally disrupted the procedure. And it was the Hauptman case, as I recall. Uh, and that was started the debate as to whether we have to limit uh, the amount of distractions that can occur as a result of publicity on high profile cases. But the balance in my mind is the public's right to know and the right to a fair and impartial trial. And in my mind, the criminal justice system, especially, has to focus on the right of a defendant to a fair trial. And if that is any way impeded by this process, if it affects the way lawyers act, if it affects the way judges make decisions, if it affects the way witnesses will testify or not testify, it's a major problem. We're dealing, for example, with finally understanding how implicit bias can create a lack of a fairness in, in jury selection. Um, this is simply another factor that can add to the difficulties in ensuring that there is a fair process where outside factors are not impacting what occurs in the courtroom. We have a very special setting. We, we play with very special rules in a courtroom. It is not the, the common understanding of why isn't the defendant telling his or her side of the story, which would be anticipated if someone were accused of a wrongdoing? And so the judges, through instructions, have to continue to emphasize that the burden is on the prosecutor. The defendant has no burden. He has no duty to explain anything. These are difficult concepts for lay individuals to, to really achieve in rendering a verdict. And to add another difficult factor, uh, and that is the whole world is watching can have an impact in some cases. And that's why I think the important thing is not so much whether we have cameras or not, but whether the parties have the ability to veto the camera situation. In other words, consent should be required. There are cases, look, most lawyers are like me. They love being on camera, all right? Uh, and, and, and they love, and, and especially if you're in private practice, what could be better advertising than watching, than having the world watch you perform, presuming you're a good performer? So I would have to balance my ego with 
my strategy on a, on a specific case as to whether this is good or bad for my client. And that is my job to ensure that I can insulate this trial to what is really at stake to what the rules of evidence require and to avoid any outside influences from impacting the jury. And that's why I think it's an attorney and client strategic decision that is extremely important because every case is different and every aspect of the case, including whether the world is watching, can influence what a lawyer will advise his client to do or not do. Yeah, so so Dan, so you know, we've mentioned that uh, you know, public access to courts and our justice system is important, but is it more important than uh, ensuring that we have a fair trial, especially uh, when it's involved a, a criminal matter and and someone's life is potentially at stake? Is yes. it more important than that? Yeah, so those those values are not in conflict with one another. In fact, I'm going to argue that they are complementary uh, in a couple of ways. First of all. To my knowledge, there's never been a single trial over a verdict overturned in Florida because the media got control of the case and something went off the rails. So we've had 40 years to see that sort of nightmare scenario play out, and it hasn't. So to to take what what uh, Norman's saying here and and apply it, map it onto the real world, well, you'd have to say, well, look, we've had 40 years of just injustice, flat out injustice in Florida. And I, I just think that's a big claim to make, and I, I would want to see support for that. The other part of it is, to Norman's point, jurors were reading all the time about having very unrealistic views of what they're supposed to see in court. I've read certainly kind of scary articles about how when you're trying to do a criminal trial, they want to see the CSI lab, they want to see the fingerprint technology, all the fancy things they see on TV. So the more that ordinary Americans are exposed to the actual justice system as opposed to the pretend one that we all enjoy, you know, law and order, et cetera, the more realistic and attuned to these rules, these very complicated and confusing rules jurors may be. I think, you know, you mentioned the Amber Heard trial, hearsay played a massive role in that case. And there's like millions of people now that know what the word hearsay means. So I think that that's great. And then just to kind of hone in on whether or not there's a conflict between defendants' rights and the public access, I just, I reject that because to me, it's the opposite. Uh, I think there's a lot of criminal trials that we'll never, ever hear about. And when a lawyer sat on the courthouse steps and says there was an injustice done there, who are you supposed to believe? So it plays an incredibly strong sunlight effect to be able to have these trials visible to people to make sure that justice is being done. For these people, because not everybody is able to afford a great attorney like Norman, you know, Effman. There are some overworked or I'm, you know, I'm free, by the way. <laughs> not everyone has the has the uh, the requisite luck and to to find their way in the right with the right person. There are unfortunately instances of ineffective assistance of counsel <laughs> of of things that just go awry, and it's really great because um, you know we have a, our society has changed a lot, and there's a real element of you know what's the phrase Pixar didn't happen. People need to see video evidence of things, and and what I is as frustrating as many people may have found watching the Kyle Rittenhouse trial or the Amber Heard trial, any of these trials they saw justice being done and it, it, it helps tamp down on speculation that like things are sinister, things are happening behind the scenes. And on the other side, if there are things that are, aren't great, then the public will have recourse to watch it. There's a lot of people that love watching, you know, court watching, but they can only be in one place at one time. And this is a force multiplier. Let the media, let the public come in and see these things, watch justice. 
And my bet is that people will come away actually feeling that the courts are working, but uh, I can't ask people to take my word for it. Let me, you know, since you both mentioned the, the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial, obviously many people are familiar with that because that one was in fact uh, broadcast uh, and we had multiple cameras in that courtroom. Uh, let's talk about that a little bit because that raises another issue, right? So there were the legal issues, but then there was the court of public opinion, right? I mean, uh, I don't know if everybody knows that, uh, you know, Amber Heard was actually successful on her counterclaim. In the court of a public opinion, she was the loser um, because not because people watched all six weeks of that trial, but because of the various snippets that came out uh, portrayed her in a negative light. So if you're going to have a trial that's now going to be recorded, do you need, in addition to having an attorney, you need to have, uh, you know, a media marketing person as well. So even if you win the case and you lose your reputation in the court of public opinion, that's just as bad, sometimes worse. How do we protect against someone taking snippets and making someone, you know, look like, uh, you, you know, improper or in a negative light. Well, well you know, we, we have laws. We have false light. Well, not in New York, I should say, but outside of New York, uh, we have defamation law. We have, um, you know, there are remedies for being portrayed in a way that is damaging to your reputation and profession. It's not false, right? Because it's a true, it's a true. Well, there's defamation by implication. I should say, I, I professionally, I could literally never take one of these cases, but I, they do exist. <laughs> People do get defamed. Uh, can can, can I say where we, yeah. where we agree? All right. Number one, I, I remember when cameras first, during the first experiment or whatever in New York, uh, arraignments, especially presumption of innocence, etc. And people wore bags over their head because of cameras in the courtroom itself, not just the perk walk, you know, but, but you know, overcoming that taint uh, as being portrayed as the accused, presumed innocent uh, in the law, but not by the public. But where it's successful, for example, I, I have appeared, you know, in this particular format, you know, uh, virtually. Uh, I have watched appellate division arguments. I've been involved in appellate division. Those are perfect for cameras. In fact, they are great to have the appellate division and court of appeals material available on camera, uh, on video, in archives, so you can see it anytime you want. Um, I would love to see cameras in the courtroom in town and village courts, especially with non-lawyer judges. I think that would open the eyes of not necessarily the public that already knows what a mess that can be, but of the Office of Court Administration and the judiciary generally as to the lack of justice in justice courts. I think the world is closed to that because it is a closed society and people don't. So there are times when cameras in the courtroom are very important, but most important to me is what impact it has on the system itself and protecting the rights of the accused. Uh, and I understand we're on the same page and, and, and I understand the studies thus far have shown nothing, but we don't know what's happening in the human mind. Uh, we don't know what impacts it. And I don't believe, uh, just from what I've observed, that judges are the same off camera and on the camera. I, I think uh, every judge is different, uh, but but clearly certain lawyers, certain prosecutors, certain defense lawyers and certain judges are playing to the camera and it could change decision making and arguments and alter the very process that we are trying to preserve and that is a fair trial. 
but that, that that cuts in both directions, right? Because maybe judges that are prone to but not in, in village work. court, like I said, in village yeah, court, right, I'd right, love, I, I, I love them to know the world is watching. Judges are all human, like the rest of us. They're all tremendously flawed, like myself and everyone else. And I, I you know, it's it's the question of it's speculative, but the sunlight has to win in a free society. And the question I will pose to you is for the Derek Chauvin trial, there were 23 million people that turned into that. How do you fit them all in the courtroom if they want to watch a trial, watch justice? Like, there's just no, there's no option there. So what are we going to do? Maybe after the trial. <laughs> well, but that doesn't look. If there was a tape yeah, delay, right? I mean, you're talking tape delay, right? That's fine. I, I don't need access to live justice on demand. You know, um, I, I, the question is, will people be able to watch what happens in our courts? And increasingly, people do. There's evidence people really do want to watch these things. The Derek Chauvin trial is one example. The Kyle Rittenhouse trial had millions of people tuning in in prime time. We saw the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial was millions of people tuning in. Where are we supposed to fit all these people? Well, we we, we can fit them in after the verdict is in. I, I think that's a very interesting proposal. I'm not, I, I haven't even considered that, but at least we're in the same ballpark of let's have a record of what happened. So let me ask you this. So I, I think we're all in agreement that there should be some uh, cameras in the courtroom because it provides it provides public access to the court system that is good for everyone. I think there is agreement also that uh, there should be some restrictions, uh, what those are. I'd like to ask uh, each of you, where's the balance, right? So Dan, I'll ask you first, how, how do we balance both of the concerns, public access, fair trial, fairness to witnesses, where, where does the balance fall? The balance to me is safety and wellness. There are people that are undercover informants or officers that uh, we do take steps to disguise their identity. And there's all sorts of things that judges will permit to protect people's identity and safety. Um, if there was some reason to believe that there was more information that could be gleaned on the camera than what is possible in the courtroom, absolutely see to the safety of, of vulnerable people. And then there's the people I've talked about that are vulnerable in a different way, children, uh, maybe victims of, of, of extreme, extraordinary violence or, or who have continuing threats to them. I think you have to look at each individual witness as an individual and see what their situation is and, and, and make an assessment as to whether or not the camera, the, the video recording what they're doing is, is making it worse for them than mere court watching and public attention to it. And, and so, and that that assessment that would be made by the judge in in the case, right? That's and, a, yes, and, and in Florida, the judge makes that assessment. It's I don't know how I couldn't tell you how often it's challenged, but right. it's based on good cause. And I think in the vast majority of cases, you won't see the media challenging that. Um, and the reason why I'm skeptical of a sort of defendant veto, I'm totally understand where people are coming from with that. But where do we draw the line? You know. If someday we see a, a trial of you know Donald Trump in New York, does he get to decide if it's on camera or not? I mean, I don't know if he, that could go either direction, believe me. But um, I don't want to give defendants a, a veto right because the public deserves to see the justice being done. So they're they're not, I'm not I don't mean to be dismissive of these concerns, but to me uh, they are addressable in the courtroom by the judge, and we as lawyers have to educate the public, educate the judiciary, and work together to figure out how these things work. So there will obviously be a breaking in period and adjustment, but we can collectively get over it because New York is the best, 
and takes backseat to no other state. And so I'm confident that Florida can figure this out, a state that is not renowned for having its act together, that New York can handle it. Norm, let me ask you the same question. Uh, you know, that, that what, what Dan just proposed sounds uh, relatively reasonable, right? That the judge would still preside over their courtroom. They could say this particular part of the case um, is not going to be, uh, there's not going to be public access, which is what they can do right now, quite honestly, with people walking in the courtroom. Uh, where do you think, where, where would you think in, in an ideal world that the, the line should be drawn and the balance should be had? Norm. I testified back, I think in 94, and it must have been a legislative commission run by Judge Burt Roberts on cameras in the courtroom. Uh, and Burt thought I was in favor of them because I had talked to him about, uh, I practiced in a very rural county, which is almost, which is 99% white. And I have uh, many clients who are accused of crimes while incarcerated in the two correctional facilities here, Attica being the, the well-known one. And so I'm often in an all-white courtroom uh, where almost every juror has some connection to corrections, given the employment uh, within Wyoming County, which is basically agriculture and prisons, um, and having to, and defending people of color. Uh, and uh, back then, I said I would want cameras in the courtroom to Bert Roberts. I said because otherwise, it's a closed society, and and the jurors are ignoring. Uh, what the world might consider realities. I didn't call it implicit bias then, but obvious bias. Uh, and if they knew that the world was watching, it could impact jury selection. So there were times I thought that exposing what was going on in the courtroom uh, to the public outside of my community would benefit my clients. But that was a strategic decision. And when I testified and, and Bert pushed me on this and said, however, it requires the consent of the defense lawyer whose primary interest should be protecting the rights of his client, and there are strategic decisions that have to be made. I'm sorry, I, I have to rely on competent defense lawyers to make decisions in the best interests of their clients, which in my mind is paramount, uh, and, and should that should be the focus of criminal justice, especially. But this new legislation opens up family court to cameras in the courtroom. My God, if you think the Johnny Depp thing uh, drew attention, come to any family court. I, I stay away from family court. It's too violent. I, I need criminal court. <laughs> okay. So uh, I think there are times that when emotions are so raw that the fact that it's being broadcast, and who's broadcasting it? It's only going to be broadcast if it's commercially positive for whoever is putting it on television. They're not going to show... Uh, what happens to your DWI ticket when you appear in the town of Warsaw? They're going to show the, the Johnny Depp type of situations or the high profile criminal cases. And there is where you need the most protection for the individuals involved in the trial process. And I and simply giving the, you know, the, the realities of, of the human condition, I want to make a strategic decision as to whether cameras are beneficial or not to my client. I'll let Dan uh, just uh, respond to that briefly. Uh, uh, Norm's thoughts on, on where the balance should be. I really respect that a defense attorney is looking out for their client's interest. That is absolutely what you're supposed to be doing. But it's only one part of the equation and we have to look after the system too. And so if you leave it in the hands of the attorneys, then it becomes a strategic decision. Johnny Depp's lawsuit against Amber Heard 
reflects a strategic decision to try it in Virginia, which I will say that case did not belong in Virginia. Neither of them are from Virginia. Uh, because one, it's been speculated that they thought libel law was better there. I, I think that's sort of misplaced, but the bigger factor was cameras. And so I don't want the public's attention being decided for strategic reasons. I want the public to be able to watch everything. And I, I say, we have to let, like, we have to let in the bad with the good. And there are downsides. There surely are. There are people that are going to have vulnerable moments in court that may have only been seen by three elderly people that like to watch you know, on Thursday afternoons and instead it lives on a server somewhere. So I'm very cognizant of that, but ultimately we have to look after the system and our country's faith in courts is just plummeting. Now you can ascribe a lot of that to the Supreme Court, but I don't know if people are really distinguishing tremendously. And so I'd love to see people to see the courts and if they are pleasantly surprised that they're mostly running well or running okay, I should say, uh, that's great. And if they're seeing more that they don't like, then, then even better, because then there may be some impetus to clean things up and, and have better systems in place. So um, I think I'm just going to say that I agree with what you're saying, but I'm going to say that that's you're still on my side. <laughs> okay, so listen, so I, I think we've we've found some common ground. This might be a good time for us to to wrap it up. Uh, Dan Novak and, and Norm Effman. I want to thank you both for your insights on this very important issue. I'd like to thank you both for uh, being with us here on Miranda Warnings. We have uh, something of a lighthearted feature on Miranda Warnings. I'll give you each a, a brief opportunity. We have something called Music Book or Movie. You can share something of interest to you with our listeners. Uh, it doesn't have to be about cameras in the courtroom. It could be... Um, any book or movie or music that means something to you. So Dan, uh, what do you have for us? Uh, as for my plug, I don't know if you can see uh, Zabar's here, but this is perfect for our New York listeners set. Uh, it's a it's a biography of, of Zabar's famous uh, uh, supermarket and delicatessen on the uh, Upper West Side. You can have a copy, you can have, um, well, you can get the book there. Uh, it's a very good book. And you can also have like a smoked meat shipped to you, I think like anywhere in the United States. So I would urge all listeners to uh, get their smoked salmon before, you know, okay. whatever the next holiday is. All right. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Norm, any thoughts on smoked meat? Yeah, we have found common grounds. I, I, did, <laughs> I, I did grow up in Brooklyn and Long Island. So uh, yes, uh, there's a, a part of my heart and soul uh, is a, with that type of delicatessen that is difficult to find these days. Um, you know, I go to movies uh, for entertainment. I mean, there are a lot of good movies and I was just thinking about this. I like the old Woody Allen stuff, you know, be before he became the pervert, whatever, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I thought his, his early stuff was just great. Uh, and then some silly stuff like Slapshot. Uh, so, uh, you know, I can watch Schindler's List uh, and, and stuff like that, and, and, and I, I get emotional about that stuff, but I need some entertainment because my life is serious enough. <laughs> so, uh, so, so give me some 1975 Woody Allen movies, whether it's Annie Hall or any one of them back then. Very good. Norm and Dan, thank you both for your time. Thank you for being on Miranda Warnings, and uh, we wish you both uh, the best. Thank you. It was a pleasure, David. Thank you. This has been Miranda Warnings, a New York State Bar Association podcast. You have the right to subscribe, rate, and review. 